is The Daily Takeaway. Tim Minchin, it's an honour to welcome you to Home Time and Absolute Radio. It's an honour to be here. Thank ha- you for having me, Andy. Hey, it's brilliant to have you here. How are you doing? Uh, you're you're a busy guy. You yeah. all right? You looking after yourself? Yeah, I think I'm all right. Yeah, doing a lot of this sort of stuff. There's this sort of thing that happens where you do a bit of press and you talk about yourself. Chatting to randoms like you're, me. You're talk, talking to randoms, like just weird, 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 weird dudes just Specky staring guys. at you yeah, yeah. with their glasses. <laughs> and uh, and you start getting like this slightly um, like floating away, like you're talking about yourself all the time and you become it's really weird do you, do you worry that sometimes what well, is it is it Chris Pine that they, they zoomed in on whilst uh, Harry Styles was answering a question at like a movie premiere not that long ago and he was just type of glazing over and just looking into the distance is it Chris Pine uh, do you worry sometimes like because obviously it's hard it's hard work what you do and, and the press bit of it is like real slog sometimes you know what I mean do you, yeah. worry, do, do you sometimes worry about people zooming in on you and like and staying with it glazed <laughs> over. no I think I, I sort of have the opposite problem which is I hyper engage and hyper engage and, and I'm really an open book so people ask me questions and I should say well this reminds me of my show Back which is on 23rd of November in cinemas but what I actually do is just go yeah let's unpack that idea and, yeah. and I just talk and talk and talk until I'm sort of overly engaged with the conversation I forget that my job is to just do press and sell a product I can imagine you being so excited then you fall asleep like a toddler yeah that's right I was over in the corner of a radio studio with my thumb in my mouth Tim's overtired <laughs> uh, Tim I knew I was going to like you because you're a barefoot guy on stage I I walk around barefoot, uh, no shoes and socks at home. What's your you, homewear for you? Obviously, you're very trendy at the moment, but you, you tracky bottoms or are you dressing gown? Oh, I just want to go back to me being trendy. What, <laughs> what trendy. the hell? Thanks. <laughs> I feel trendy. Um, it's just weird. No one's following my trend, but still. Um, yeah, no, pretty slouchy, mostly barefoot. Um, depends on the weather, but yeah, sort of tracky bottoms. Sometimes when I wake up in the morning and I've got a right and I'm not really feeling very good, yeah. I sometimes like get dressed. I get properly like, yeah, I like suited to put up. Yeah, I like put on you know, a pair of trousers and a T-shirt and like sometimes even undies. Sometimes I'll wear a pair <laughs> of I like that, it's going the extra mile. Yeah, just put <laughs> some pants on just, just to make a point to myself. I'm a man who wears pants. That's good. You can put that on LinkedIn. That's yeah. part of your profile. That's great. <laughs> no, that's so, Tim, would you say that like what you do, music, musical comedy, go and see a movie, go and see a musical in the West End, is more important than it's ever been? I think how important art is to a culture is a hard conversation. It always sounds pretty self-serving when you're arty types going, yeah, we need more art, you know, when there's hospitals that aren't funded, blah, blah, blah. But it's one of those things that you can only really see when you when you take the camera back a lot and, and yeah. look through time and look at cultures that have had thriving art scenes and stuff and they're always the good ones and the cultures that don't are the bad ones. And, and also as well, I mean, I think just even from hearing from the, the public, you know, Absolute Radio's listeners and so yeah. on, uh, how important music and going to see gigs yeah. or having a gig in the calendar and going to see performances, huge for their mental health actually, so it shouldn't be discounted, that, that kind of thing, do you know what I mean? I think that's right and theatre especially is a medium that allows you to tell stories about what's going on at the time. It's, it does hold a mirror up. Um, and especially theatre is important in a time when film is so dominated by huge studios making the same story yep. over and over again. Some special American saves the world, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's true, though. Yeah, the yeah. Films that were made even 10 years ago would never get made now in yeah, a million years, just because of the d- dynamics of it, you know? Yeah, that's probably true, yeah. And, you know, w- when the world is kind of stranger than fiction like it is at the moment, is it quite hard to write comedy when it's like, uh, uh, you know, I saw, you know, your brilliant performance before the BAFTAs a couple of years ago where you like the, the, the element of jumping the shark but it's the world is weird so it's quite hard to write comedy if it's that weird I guess I think it is and it, for me I I got known probably as a polemicist in a time when polemic like um, sort of eviscerating sharp edged um, uh, criticism through comedy of ideas which is what I did yep. um, that wasn't ubiquitous it wasn't everyone 
my form, which is very carefully crafted polemic, is actually just noise amongst noise now. So I, I changed. I, I mean, I sort of stopped doing it. And now I don't see myself so much as a person writing stand-up as, as a musician writing right. songs that explore ideas and doing talk in between that kind of unpack stuff. And weirdly, people still laugh. <laughs> so I've kind of adjusted how I see it. What do you think of social media and stuff like that? Well, I got off it about a year and a half ago. I, I was quite early. I think I was the first Australian to have a million followers. And, yeah, I got known for sort of some idiotic stuff about cheese. And um, <laughs> that, about that should be on my on. <laughs> My tombstone. We'll add that Razor as well. sharp observations, some idiotic <laughs> stuff about cheese. Um, <laughs> should be my Wikipedia page. But um, uh, I, I think it's incredibly bad for the world and individuals. Yeah. In, in terms of writing comedy uh, and doing what you do, uh, you know, there's this thing now where something that was all right to say, even just say ten years ago, is now not all right to say. Yeah. You know, it, things can change. Do you, do you worry about cancel culture and any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I've. My heart's always been not just in the right place, but very clearly in the right place, unless you don't like me, in which case you could take stuff out of context and right. find, find ways to misrepresent what I was saying, which isn't to so, say, yeah, there's language um, convention changes. The problem is these days people pretend that language doesn't change in its impact. They're like, well, if it's offensive now, it was 20 years ago, you just didn't know about it. It's like, no, no, the actual it's actually changed how we, yeah. we see this. And some of it's for good and some of it's for bad. I believe as an artist I have the chops to um, still talk about truth and talk about good ideas versus bad ideas. And in my show, my back show, I talk a lot about tribalism and confirmation bias and silos and all that stuff. That, yep. that, that stuff is actually very, very important, I think. Well, let's talk about back because you're bringing your record-breaking sellout uh, show back to UK cinemas. I love the fact, let's just say, you know, let's get this clear. For one night only in November 23rd, uh, and I always think like live performances in, in cinemas is such a great thing, kind of underutilised sometimes a little bit in terms of watching something like that. Do you, do you know what I mean? I think so. I mean, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I, I didn't know that was the plan and I'm, I'm pretty excited by it, especially because as a musician, obviously people having a good acoustic uh, experience is yep. very, means a lot to me, so it's nice that they're going to be in cinemas. But um, I, look, I want people to see me live. That's the form and that spontaneity and being there in the moment with that group of people. That's the form. But when you've done a tour like Back that's gone for three years and been seen by 260,000 people or whatever, you, you also don't want it to be gone forever. So it's, yeah. it's lovely to sort of archive it. And then it's lovely because if I'm honest, n like not everyone can afford to come and see my shows. It, not everyone wants to. <laughs> but um, those who, of those who want to, only a percentage yeah. want to travel or to stay overnight in a town. And so this is a way people can see it. No, I mean, because the local cinema near us sometimes has like ballet on and stuff in the mornings, which you'd never, I would never be able to normally get a ticket to go and see something like that. No. But it, it does make it more accessible. I like the fact that it's for one night only as well. There's something kind of special about it as well yeah, which is I th great I think that's the other thing is when you release these specials into the world it, it's always sort of there's no splash yeah. it's just sort of they're drifting out into the world and you, you never unless you're into reading the internet's opinions of you which I am very much not yeah. it's just sort of out there so it's lovely to have a moment it's sort of a celebration of, of the thing going out into the world Fantastic and then what can people expect from the show because it, it, it survived Covid you, you also say as well that it nearly killed you tell <laughs> us a little bit about back um, Well it's this fantastic tour but yeah it probably to be honest it 
nearly killed my manager, I should say, because <laughs> we actually toured all through COVID in Australia where, because in Australia there were whole periods where in various regions there was basically no COVID and everyone was going on as normal. It was weird though because like you always look at Australia as, as doing everything much better than we do over here. You guys are almost more organised and always think, oh, God, we should be a bit more like Australia. But how, how do you feel that it was dealt with over there? Because it kind of went a bit south, didn't it, in the end for Australia? The, the, as far as I can see, there was a sort of range a reasonable range of ways you could um, respond to this right. pandemic. And most countries sat within that range. And the way we talk about things at the moment, you have to sort of be furiously on one side or the other, but it's not actually a binary. It's just a range of responses. Yeah. Australia has controllable borders, famously, which we use for good and evil. And we kept it out until everyone was double vaxxed and then we opened our borders and at that moment of course everyone got COVID and of course despite the vaccines and how brilliant they were they didn't they didn't inoculate us they just lowered our chances of dying so people died and everyone who didn't like the policies was writing C and they're putting them in camps and all this nonsense but it was just I think Australia did really 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 well no absolutely and then sorry going back to what you were saying about back so it kind of it was existing during this kind of crazy period I'm just talking about vaccines now (laughs) it's it's one of my talents is I'll talk with authority on any subject and no knowledge Um, uh, yeah so we, we sort of jumped around and we just really wanted to keep working and yeah. keep entertaining and I wanted to keep employing my, my people and uh, you were doing this charity thing and I, I had promised money to charities and I really, we, we worked really hard to stay alive and we did it and it went over a three year period and the show is, you know, it's another step on my development. I, I kind of, I keep pushing outwards so, um, you know, if you're coming expecting like my song about inflatable dolls and a, a bit of stand-up about, you know, it, it's I'm, I'm older, I, I, I've got a broader audience now, so there's songs from my album and stuff. Mm. But but what is consistent and always has been is my, it's all complex and wordy and ideas heavy and it makes people laugh and. Uh, I just feel incredibly lucky. I just get get on stage and do exactly what I bloody want and people keep buying tickets so far. Uh, superb. Well, people need to go and watch it. It was recorded. The, the one that you'll see uh, on November 23rd uh, is, was recorded at the Shepherd's Bush Empire. It certainly was. Uh, what, what's that? It's an iconic venue. Uh, we were just talking before you, you arrived actually about um, the ups and downs of dressing rooms. What's the standard of dressing rooms like in the United Kingdom? Are they, are they poor? It, it varies wildly. There's often a sort of funk... They often smell a bit sort of damp. Uh, I always love it. I love theatres more than anything. And I love the UK because you feel like you've seen them all all and you never have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just endless, amazing venues. And I I love that experience of getting off a tour bus and going through the maze. And, you know, my tour manager's like, that's your dressing room. And the wonderful thing about where I'm at in my career is I walk into my dressing room and my, my production manager has like... They, 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 because we have these big trucks of all the gear. They, they've laid it out. There's a lamp. And a, oh, really? You've got like, your own yeah, kind of kit. Yeah, that's right. They make it all homely. It's I'm completely spoiled. Do you think they're, they're haunted? They always, whenever you get a little tour of like the uh, my, my friend, um, one of my friends, Mel Gedroich, was in Company. So I got we got a tour backstage with Mel and everything. And I don't know which theatre that was, uh, just around the corner from here. But he's 100 haunted that place. Yeah, I mean, I reckon. Well, I, I'm a. Uh, old theatre guy and theatre people are very superstitious and in my experience theatres are haunted by living people who believe in ghosts. <laughs> That's, I like that. I absolutely love that. That's a great approach. Uh, so, Matilda, a feature film of the, the stage version of the, sh- of the show. Tell us a little bit about that. It's out at the end of November. 
Yeah, so Matilda the Musical's been on the West End for 11 years um, and obviously is a huge part of my life. When I was sort of becoming known as a, as a comedian musician in the UK, this project came along which it just opened everything for me because yeah. um, it, it sort of allowed me to realise that I could be... Not that there's anything... That I was going to say more than just a comedian. I mean, the comedians that I know are, are geniuses and it's a craft in and of itself, but I always felt like I was a songwriter and I was a bit worried I was going to get stuck getting known for my silly stuff and Matilda just, uh, you know, kind of kicked down the doors a bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then and from quite early on, from 10 years ago, Sony Pictures have been talking about when are we going to make this into a feature film. So uh, unlike Back, which is just the filming of a live thing, yeah. this is nothing. This is a $100 million feature film um, starring Emma Thompson and Lashana Lynch, and it's just... I can't. I didn't have much to do. It's all Matthew Watch. I was going to ask, like, what your involvement was. Well, I wrote a new song for it, which I'm really looking forward to that coming out. I'll yep. try and get that to you guys. But um, I, uh, I was stuck in Australia. It was filmed during COVID. I mean, the challenge. There's like, 300 kids involved in this film. And, oh, wow, it must have been crazy. Um, it's the first time the London Film Festival's ever had a family film opening it, which says something about yeah, the wow. quality. Yeah. And yeah, it's gone down really well. But um, it's released on the 25th of November in cinemas. Amazing. And then let's go to Upright Series Two. Oh, that's yeah. out in November as well. well. That seems to be coming out in November. I don't think we've got a date from Sky, but that'll be on, on Now TV and Sky. And that's the second season of this TV show that I, I co-wrote and, and co-starred in. And what the weird thing is, since season one, my co-star, Millie Alcock, has gone on to become the star of House of the Dragon. She, yeah, yeah. She was Rhaenyra's, Rhaenyra um, for the first five episodes and then she grew up and became a different actress. Um but, yeah, she is amazing. I, we wrote season two specifically to centre on her character Meg's journey. And she, if you think she's good in House of the Dragon, you should see her in this, her range and her yeah, yeah, yeah. emotional intensity and her comedy, and she is just an incredible actress. Yeah. And when things take off for people like that, you know, they, they, they have this kind of one show that takes them, like, yeah. stellar. Does it change them? Are they quite good at, like, you know, keeping themselves centred? Well, Millie is... In She's more than anything just incredibly hardworking and tough, just really tough, like her character in Upright. And um, I don't think... Uh, I mean, I you know, you worry. I, I, it was hard even just at my level, but going from being in, you know, mostly known for being in my TV show to being in the most popular TV show ever or something. Yeah. Uh, what I value in her is what she was able to do with my scripts and yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in my show, but she's really down to earth and incredibly intuitive and deeply talented. Fantastic. Well, um, good to hear. So many amazing things uh, going for you in, no in November. Uh, hey, you can have a bit of a break, though. What do you do as, like, a final question, a bit of a relaxation in the world of the Minchin? What do you do? Just put your feet up or do you uh, play golf or what's your relaxing oh, thing? Oh, no, I'm a runner. I, I run. So do you? I, I, I try to get into running, but I'm not very good at it. I was always a runner. I feel very lucky about that because I always ran. Um, uh, <laughs> do you do marathons and stuff like that? No, then? no, it's just, I'm a sort of 10K guy and I very much run by myself. I have done half marathons and stuff, but... Um, have you ever been tempted to draw something with your route map on Strava? Like a... Uh, like a... Yeah. A, a, One of them. A, a cricket bat and balls? Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. Uh, no. Um, no, I love that. And, and I am trying to get better at taking holidays. And if my wife was here, she'd be saying, grabbing the mic and saying, he doesn't stop, make him stop. <laughs> I really, really love my work. And it's, it, it, it eventually is problematic. I, I haven't mentioned my children. I have children. You know? <laughs> no, it's amazing. Well, uh, uh, lovely to speak to you. Make sure you go and see back out on the big screen November 23rd. 
That's exactly right. Tickets out November 19th. Tim Minchin, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Andy. This is The Daily Takeaway. The Daily Takeaway.